Hey everybody, it's Brother Frank, and welcome back to another episode of The Remnant Call. I'm glad to have you here tonight. Uh, I'm just going to open up with prayer, and I want to jump right in. Father, in the name above every name, Yeshua, thank you so much for being with us, for sustaining us, Lord, for preparing us, and for feeding us, Lord. Uh, Not with the food of this world, which we need to live, But we need the food, the bread from heaven, Lord. And this is a time you are feeding your people, Lord. And may we continue to eat at the table that you have prepared for us. And I pray tonight as we open up the truth, Lord, that as you reveal it, that you will be glorified in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen. Folks, thank you for joining me, and um, you've seen the news today. Obviously, things are getting hairier. Uh, I'm convinced that the top leader of this country desires war, and um, folks, whenever war is on a man's heart, um, it's dangerous, and we as believers need to be prepared now more than ever. My friend and I, a local buddy of mine here, we have been all week long um, seeking the Lord, some things going on in our lives. Um, you know, just setting some time apart and studying the word together, reading through the same uh, part of the Bible over and over again and looking for those deep treasures. And folks, I'm telling you, God is revealing deep things right now. If you want to know them, if you want to know them, but I want to quote something to you here that Charles Spurgeon said, because my question I really have to everybody that listens to the Remnant Call, and this is a question for me too. I'm not just asking it to you, but what will be your response the day that all these things we've been talking about for years on the Remnant Call that you've heard your grandparents talk about, your parents, you've known it's the end of time, you've known that things are falling apart, you know that these things are coming, but what is going to happen the day after or the minute after it first finally begins and it becomes real to you? That's a that's a fair question because people will tell you that have been in war. Now, when I was in the Marines, I, we almost went to back to Iraq. I, I never went back into war. Uh, we came close at one point, but it didn't happen. But I know people that have been, and they'll tell you the first time those bullets come flying over your head, let me tell you, you go in your pants. That's how bad it is and how scary it is because Even though you've trained and you've prepared, and trust me, that training and preparation, it will kick in and it will help. But that initial shock of the first time it all hits the fan, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. We are going to be ready to receive a real serious awakening. The difference between the military and sometimes those in the churches, the military are preparing, or at least they used to. I'm not sure about what's going on there anymore. But they prepare daily for these types of events. And as people mature and they've been to war and they've been through this stuff, there comes a sense of peace in knowing that, yes, it's dangerous, but I have the right tools to accomplish the mission. I am very concerned right now that people do not have the correct tools to accomplish the mission. 
Folks, the mission is the same. We must share the ever-loving gospel with a dying world. It's not a suggestion. It is a command in the Bible. But I want to read you something that Spurgeon said. Unbelief will destroy the best of us. Faith will save the worst of us. And I'll tell you, that is such a true statement. The possibility that all this experience we have done in our lives, being Christians, all the radio programs we've listened to, all the end-time podcasts we've heard, um, the growth that we've had personally through our years in the walk with the Lord, to end up in a place where our faith is so shaken that we can hardly believe God still works miracles anymore. And even though we've seen the miracles throughout our lifetime, we've seen God's hand move many times through the years, we've heard the testimonies, we've experienced the wonderful works of God, how quickly, how quickly the change of events can shake our faith when we are not grounded deeply in God. I remember one time this old gunnery sergeant, master gunnery sergeant in the Marines, he was the true definition of a leather neck. He had an actual leather neck. This guy was so tough. His name was Jim. I don't even know his last name. He's retired, but he still worked at the base stables out of Camp Pendleton. And I was out there, and I remember being down there at Jim. And one day, we were pulling up a bridge, because sometimes when you're in the military, they have quotas on the base. You get out of your job. You go do some stuff. I was in the rodeo uh, in my off time, so there was an opening down at the base stables for a few months. I got on. I was loving it, not having to do the the nine to five of military life every well the 24 7 of military life at times it can be and i remember down there they had a tractor and pulling up this bridge and i saw it coming i was worked on a farm growing up dairy farm i knew it was coming they had the forks underneath this bridge they were trying to pull it up jim was there looking at the guy this guy justin that was in the tractor and as he was pulling up i just knew those boards were going to explode and break and sure enough they did and i remember these spikes just shot right out of the boards went right the bottom of where jim's eyeball is all around his face big huge deep spikes and I remember sitting there and watching Justin pull these gigantic spikes out of this man's face like I had never seen around his eyeball and everything. And I'm not kidding you, not a single tear dropped from that man's face. I don't care who you are. That would have made you cry. That would have made me cry for sure, pulling that back out. But that man was tough. He had did five tours in Vietnam. I'd never known anybody to do five tours, but he had done that. And he, I remember he said that he never lost anybody when he was over there, that listened to him when he said, get down. And how true that is, that old Jim, now I'll tell you what, if I had to go to the battle, I don't care about some, you know, fancy captain or, or uh, you know, major or lieutenant colonel, you know, it's got all the OCS training. You stick me with that old master gunnery sergeant that's done those five tours. That's the guy who I want to go to war with because he's been through the fight and he knows and he understands what it takes in order to do the job. Folks, I am so concerned that so many people are not prepared. Listen, I don't have, I'm not completely prepared. We're all not completely prepared. But you know what? We know that we must seek the Lord. And when the event happens, he will take over and do that which we cannot do. 
But if we are not in his presence, if we are not seeking his face, reading his word, praying and fasting, and fasting is so important. We talk about this over and over again. It's not because it earns you brownie points. It's a way of emptying you and God in return will fill you with his spirit. It's a way of saying, Lord, I can't make it on bread alone. I must be sustained by you, Father. That's what it does. When we humble ourselves and our heavenly father sees it, he then replaces it. But I want to look at uh, Acts chapter 12, because I feel this is so important for us to understand the hour that we are living in. Acts chapter 12, I want to read there. Uh, It's the story you remember of Peter being in prison, starting in verse one. It says about the, the time Herod, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother uh, make sure I've got the, let me switch. I'm, I'm in the, I'm, I want to turn the King James on. Sorry here. I can tell when it's not reading King James quickly. Uh, it just doesn't sound right to me. Not that I'm against some other things. It's just, that's what I read. All right, here we go. Now about that time, Herod, that sounds better. The King stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So this sets up the time during the season of Passover of unleavened bread. And it's I find it interesting that the rulers, that the leadership, when they saw that it, that it pleased um, the Jews, that they decided that killing these Christians was a good thing. Folks, there are people that will kill you thinking that they're doing God a favor. Those who were killing the believers in that time that were of the religious ranks, they believed they were doing the very will of God. And when the government, those who are just blatantly out there saying that they don't care about God, they were happy to please those who stood for Jesus. And folks, that is what we are up against right now today. Verse four, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. That's, that's from what I understand, I believe that's like four sets of four uh, guards to basically watch him 24 seven around the clock. And, and so he puts him in there so that he's no way he can stay intending after King James says Easter, it's actually the words Passover. So I'm going to use the proper what it says intending after Passover to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, here's the part I want you to understand. Peter is locked up in prison. He's got four groups of four soldiers watching him round the clock. He is there stuck in prison. And the church, the body of believers in that day, they're in themselves in intense persecution. And they're praying earnestly for the Lord to deliver Peter from the situation. So that's the way this story starts out, continuing in verse six. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now that's interesting. Think about that one time. Here's Peter, right? Who... When he is in a life-threatening situation, instead of being afraid, is actually now asleep. This would, I don't know about you, but if I'm locked up all of a sudden, and I'm chained to two soldiers, one on one side of me, one on the other, and I know I've got these four sets of quatorians, they're, they're guarding me around the clock, 
knowing what just happened to James. Now, that's the, not the James from the book of James, but the other James, uh, that it, I, would be af- I would be nervous that night. I would be afraid. I'm just going to tell you straight. I, w- I know that there would be some real fear, but he's, there's no sense that he's afraid right now. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. Instead, the Bible says he's sleeping, which is actually so different from back in the garden. So back in the garden, Jesus has Peter in the garden, right? And he says, now I want you to stay awake and pray because this is an intense time right now for Jesus. Jesus is asking Peter to pray. And so at a time when he needed him to be awake and praying, Jesus finds him asleep, And so now we see Peter post-transformation, right? After he's been filled with the Spirit, after we see his life be changed, now Peter is at a time when the world would say you should fear, and now he's actually sleeping because he understands the peace that passes all understanding right now. He is being filled with the Spirit in such a way that would cause him to sleep, and now we see the exact opposite happening to him. When instead of him doing what the Lord asked and staying awake and praying, he falls asleep. Now when the world says, no, you should be afraid, he says, no, I have confidence in the Lord. I'm going to sleep. What a transformation in Peter's life. Yet the difference is one was prior to being filled with the Spirit in the fullest manner. The other was after. You see, even though Peter was walking with Jesus, If you don't have, even though you're going to church, even though you're claiming the name of Jesus, even though you're listening to end time broadcasts, even though you're saying Jesus, Jesus, and you've got the bumper stickers on your car, if you have not a deep walk with the Lord, it it means absolutely nothing because the majority of those who are following Jesus, they finally departed. It was a remnant of his disciples that stayed. Do you remember Jesus said, are you two going to leave me? Remember when he asked that question? Because those who were once following him and had heard all the wonderful teachings, they had departed. So here's Peter. He's asleep. He's not afraid. He's asleep in prison. Continuing on to verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. So he's so... He's sleeping so hard that apparently the light that shined in the prison didn't wake Peter up. The angel had to, hey, bump him on the side and say, hey, listen, man, wake up, wake up. That's how deeply he was sleeping. So Peter gets up, but he's confused. Well, as we'll see here in a minute, he, he, he thinks he's in the middle of a dream. Listen to what he says. And the angel said unto, unto him, gird thyself, bind on thy sandals, And so he did, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So Peter's like, am I dreaming? I don't even understand this. Now, what I find very interesting here, as the more I read this story and the more I look into this story, I start seeing the picture of the Exodus starting to form. I'm going to come back to that here in a minute. So here, verse 10, continuing on, 
When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So here now Peter finally is awake. He's like, okay, wow, what just happened? Okay, that's from the Lord. This is no longer a vision. This is not a dream. I'm not in la-la land. No, this is real what's going on right now. And said, when he considered the the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying. Remember, this is the group that was talked about in the very beginning as we started this story. They were interceding that the Lord would deliver Peter from what was going on. And as Peter, in verse 13, knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hear to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then say thee, it's his angel. Now, I find this so interesting. Here they have been interceding and praying, Lord, please set Peter free. Lord, help him to get, you know, they're they're interceding on his behalf. The Lord comes down and works a miracle. Peter shows up at the door. A lady comes and she says, listen, Peter's out there. He's really, and they say, no, you're mad. You're crazy. It's not Peter. It's just his angel. They refused to believe the very prayer that they had been asking the Lord to deliver. Folks, this is a chronic problem amongst the body of Messiah today. The prayer of unbelief is killing the church. The prayer of unbelief is killing believers. Asking for God to do something, but actually not really truly believing that he will actually do it. And here's God in his mercy. Listen, because listen to what, what's going on here. I want you to re, before, read this verse here with me. It said, um, but it said that they told her it's his angel, but Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and he saw them, they were astonished. Did you hear what it said? Peter continued knocking. This is like Jesus at the door, right? He doesn't give up. He continues to knock. So Peter keeps on knocking. He never stops knocking, even though they are refusing to believe the very prayer that they have been asking. Thank God that he does not give up the Lord when we are living sometimes in the state of unbelief. But folks, understand this. The Bible is very clear. Unbelief. Many scholars will tell you, you know, many people tell you this is one of the most grievous sins to the Lord in the whole entire Bible. It's actually known as an evil heart of unbelief. The it's basically like this. God gives promises that we refuse to accept. God tells us things that he wants to do for us that we refuse to believe. Then we pray according to his will for the answers to those prayers, hoping that God can actually answer them, but actually in our subconscious doubting that he'll ever come through. The prayer of unbelief 
is such a dangerous thing. As Spurgeon has said, unbelief will destroy the best of us. Faith will save the worst of us. It's amazing how unbelief begins to ruin the soul. When we're praying and asking, but deep down in our hearts, we are truly not believing. It is a crying shame. You know, folks, it's okay sometimes to confess to the Lord that you are struggling in unbelief. When these people came to the door, you heard it. They said, it said that they were astonished when they actually saw Peter at the door. They couldn't believe what their eyes were beholding. Now, I'm not trying to bash them. Listen, I am not saying I am one ounce better than they are. But the truth was, they didn't believe what they were asking for. And the interesting thing, when the woman came to tell them, and you know, folks, I have harped on men rising up and doing our job as being the men that God have called us to be. And I find so often in the New Testament, it's the women that had the great faith. And us men, we're stubborn sometimes. But here when she was trying to tell them, they were refusing to believe the actual thing that they had been praying for. Is it possible that we've been praying for so long, Lord, please come quickly. Lord, please return quickly. Lord, we're looking for it. Lord, we understand the time that it's in. And now the warning is here. It's full on. And we actually don't believe that the things are actually going to happen that we've been praying for. And we're actually living in unbelief. Because the actions that we are taking in this hour, knowing that the things that are going on in this world are so such in an accelerated manner, you would think that if we actually believed the very word of God, we would be spending time on our knees and prayer and fasting would become a part of our normal daily diet instead of just something we do once in a while because we feel guilty that we haven't done anything in our walk with God. If it was true that we believe that this nation is going to fall and we believe that this thing is going to come to an end and that things are going to get bad and that all hell is going to break loose, that we should be telling as many people about the coming of Jesus and that they better get ready because our God is about to move in a powerful way and you don't want to miss out on what's going to happen because the Lord is going to protect his people, but there will be some hardships. And just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we are going to get to skip out. And not go through tribulation. This woman. It's like the warning that comes at the end of time. The Lord's coming. He's here. Here comes the bridegroom. The last thing you want to do. Is have Jesus open the door and say. I know you not. Because we never had time to spend with him. To get to know him. To believe the things that he says. Now you might be saying, Frank, well, how do you see the Exodus here? How is this the Exodus? Well, I'll tell you, the Exodus is actually in here. Because you remember, there's a problem. The people of God in bondage, right? 
Peters and gone. The, they're being killed by the leadership, right? Herod, like a pharaoh at the time. And and here he is. The, he's killing James. The believers are being persecuted. Peter's in prison, just like they were back in Egypt. And what's happening? They're crying out to God. And what does God do? He sends a delivery. He sends Moses. He also sends the angel of the Lord through at night to, you remember, to pass through the through the place. Uh, actually, the Lord passed over, but he, he smote the, the firstborn, you remember. But here we got just like this, and it's during the time of Passover, just like this is happening uh, during the time of Passover. But if you remember that one of the commands that they had during the Passover is they were to eat it with their loins girded, Right. And they were to eat it with their shoes on and, and their staff in their hands. So they were ready to go. I find it so interesting that when the angel comes in, he tells Peter, he says, what? Put, he says, gird yourself, bind your sandals, right? He tells them the very same thing. Cast your garment about thee. He tells them the same thing like the Lord said in the Passover to be ready to flee at a moment's notice. Because when everything gets real bad, you better believe it. God is coming to deliver. And you better be ready. And so what happens, right? God leads them out. It's a great, it's a powerful victory. And soon as they get out into the place where the rest of the believer brings them all to, what happens? Unbelief, right? They're sitting there faced with a crisis. We want to go back to Egypt. We don't want to go into the promised land. Here, Peter, he arrives there at the place, right? And they say, oh, it's not him. It can't be. He's right at the place of unbelief. It's the same story as the Exodus. But you know what? Peter kept knocking. And so does Jesus, right? He keeps knocking at the door because the Lord has not given up on his people. But the prayer of unbelief, it's dangerous. But as I said earlier, it's okay sometimes when we struggle with unbelief if, if, now hear me carefully on this, if we can be honest about it. And that's the key. We need to be honest about it. I want to share with you Mark chapter 9. You remember the story starting in verse um, 21, or excuse me, 20. Actually, let's go back to 19, sorry. And he answered him, said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, you remember the story, right? The man had brought himself, his son to Jesus. Uh, his son was suffering with demonic possession. He was foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth. He was wasting away from what was going on. They, he, the man had brought him to the disciples. The disciples could not uh, actually deliver him out. And so Jesus begins to respond back. In verse 19, he says, And he answered and saith, uh, saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and wallowing and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him him but thou canst do anything have compassion on us and help us jesus said unto him if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears lord i believe help thou my unbelief so here the man's desperate 
He's in a terrible situation. He's struggling with unbelief because he's been watching his son suffer for all these years. He's not really sure if God can actually still do it. He believes, he wants to in his heart believe that's going on, but there's still this reservation of doubt because it's been going on for so long. In his desperation, he says, Lord, I believe, but honestly, Lord, help me in the places where I'm still struggling with unbelief. Help me, Lord. I'm not there yet, and I'm desperately in need of help. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So here the Lord has compassion on the man. He comes in such an honest way and says, Lord, I believe, but I don't trust my own heart. Help me in my unbelief. And God has compassion. You see, when the Lord sees that you are honest with him, when the Lord hears an honest prayer that says, God, I'm struggling. I've been a believer my whole life. I've been a believer for so long, Lord. I've been listening to all these end-time podcasts, and here I find ourselves on the precipice of what's going on at the end of time. And I feel like, Lord, I'm beginning to doubt and to un- and, and show signs of unbelief. Folks, your God is able to handle a prayer like that. Because once a person is honest and is real, God can begin to deal with them and to change them. He was not the the Lord Jesus was not looking for perfection. He was only looking for honesty. And when the honesty came forth, deliverance happened. But the disciples yet still needed a deeper lesson. And when they got back, they couldn't believe it because they'd had seen the power. They known and understood. They had been given the ability to do things like that. And all of a sudden, here was something they were confronted with that they themselves could not do. And that was cast this devil out. Now, this is the most misunderstood verse just about in the New Testament. It is not about casting out devils that requires prayer and fasting. Trust me, that's an appropriate thing to do. That is not what this verse is referencing, though. The problem was not that the disciples couldn't cast it out. It's that they didn't have the belief to cast him out. And so Jesus says, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Meaning this, the only way you can get rid of your unbelief is by prayer and fasting. That's what's holding you back. This remedy is to get rid of your unbelief so that you can do the very thing 
that God says to do. You don't get the ability to cast out a devil. The Lord doesn't say, oh, he's prayed and fasted now. Here's a cast out the devil credit. Boom, it's in there. You've got the credit because you did your prayer and fasting. No, the problem is your unbelief is holding you back from the free gift that the Lord has given. And the only way you're going to get rid of that unbelief is through prayer and fasting. You see, the prayer of unbelief, it's running rampant. And here we are at the end of time. And instead of watching in the garden, like Jesus asked, the church is sleeping. Now, that happened to Peter. That happened to the other disciples. They were not immune to it. They had walked with Jesus. But it wasn't until they got born again that their lives changed. Now, I'd shared with some long time ago on this program about the story of a good friend of my father. And I knew the man too. He was a pastor. His name was Jim. Jim was a powerful, powerful preacher of the gospel. He spoke with such authority. He knew how to deliver the word. The gift that he had came from God. And at one point, he even had an incident my father knows about was there um, around the church at the time that happened of demonic deliverance. And one day, Jim had been out of pastoring now. He had actually left pastoring for a period of time and went in, actually retired from pastoring and went into construction work. And he talks to my dad and he says, you know what, Frank? I had not been until a few years ago born again. I'd never been born again. And my dad was blown away and shocked because here was this man with such a powerful preacher. The very, the works of God were even evident that he had seen the deliverance, but it wasn't until he was in his mid sixties that he actually got born again. And the reason was because he had been walking for so many years in his own strength and in his own power. And his confidence was in his own gifts. And yes, there were seasons of seeking the Lord, but it wasn't until his mid-60s that he had his own crisis in life and he decided instead of wearing his own robe of righteousness that he was going to finally put on the Lord. And my dad said to him, Jim, what about all the people that you brought to the Lord? What about all these people, the things that the Lord has done? He said, you know what? God did it in spite of of me and it's been amazing this man's journey post getting born again it is possible to call yourself a believer and not have any idea about the one who you believe in but the truth is tonight God wants to make a change He wants to change you from the unbelief into belief. I I was probably in last February, and it was February of 2020. I remember I had to go preach at a church, 700-member, all-black church. I'm the white guy there. This is not, I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I'm not going to lie. I'm scared. Their pastor was known as a fantastic preacher powerful preacher and here I had to go 
follow this powerful pastor in an all-black church, and here I am, the white guy up front. I'm telling you right now, it was intimidating. And I can remember I was in the side room of that church before I went out, and I was pleading with God. I was reminding the Lord how all the times that he had delivered me and he had been there like he, like the Lord really needed my reminding him, right? But I was so desperate. I was so afraid and so in fear. And I'm Lord, Lord, do you remember how you've saved me in the past? How you've, how you've come through, Lord, how I, in the missionary field and the place I've been in, I've, I've been in these situations and God, you always have come through. And right now I'm needing you to come through again. I was in panic. And I remember I had to walk out to this church and they were bringing the pulpit over to where I was going to be standing at down there. And I remember thinking, if you don't hurry up and get that pulpit over here, by the time I make it to the middle, I'm not so sure that I can stand in my own strength because fear had gripped a hold of me. And I was scared. But that day, the Lord and I've had this happen to me many times in the past when I've gotten out of control that I think the Lord's finally said, you know what, Frank? Finally, your flesh is out of the way. You have no confidence in yourself. Today, now I can do some work. And I'm not here to say, folks, I had any gift to offer that day because I certainly did not. I was panicking and in fear, but I was so desperate for God that I was completely an open vessel and I needed him to come through in any way possible that day for me. And I remember as I began to speak and began to preach that the Lord began to speak. And I knew at the end of this church, I needed to have an altar call. I could see the conviction that was falling all around in this place at the time. And I can remember that the, that as I made the call, that the pastor came forward and that a, a few, maybe one or two came, but, but something was holding back the congregation because the altar call that I was giving that day was a very difficult altar call. It was the kind of altar call that maybe you may look like you're, you've done some bad stuff and maybe you didn't because of shame want to come forward in this altar call. And I, there was something holding the people back. But I knew that this is what God wanted me to do at that moment. It was time to call forward. And as the pastor came up and he's sitting there, he sees that the congregation is taking a while and they're hesitating. But I felt like I needed to continue to call and even though it started to go on for just a little bit, the pastor takes the mic, he grabs a mic, and he says to the congregation, he says this, look, he says, when he made the call today, I came forward for me. But when I saw that the church was not coming forward, I turned around and acted like I was just doing my normal pastorly duties. But I came forward today to answer the call. When that pastor said that, it's like the permission to the congregation. It's safe to come forward. Your pastor is answering the call. And what happened at that moment was unbelievable. My wife was there, some friends were there, and the Lord began to minister, and people began to weep, and the Lord began to pour out his spirit upon these people because we were answering the call from such an honest place in our hearts that God could finally work with us, and I watched God do something that in my own strength I had nothing to offer that day. 
But in the power of God, he was able to move mountains. And when you could come honestly to the Lord and say, Lord, my strength is weak. My unbelief, Lord, has grown and I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't desire it. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Do you know that God looks down and says, I wonder why it took you so long to come to that place of honesty so that we can deal with the issues. God isn't angry. He wants to deliver. And we are now living in a time that we sh- we, we've we been talking about for years. And God is wanting us to finally say, okay, today is enough. Lord, I've messed it up enough in the past. I've blown it up. But from this point forward, Lord, I need you to come in and do that which I have been struggling for for so many years. Lord, I don't even know how I'm going to start praying. I don't even know how to fast right, but I'm going to start trying. And I'm going to start seeking you, God, and ask you to do that which I cannot do, Lord. And I'm praying sometimes times and I don't always even mean it Lord when I'm praying to help other people because my heart's so hardened but Lord I'm acknowledging it today and I'm asking you to do that which I cannot do folks your God is able to do the things that you cannot and he's been waiting there for you to cry out so he can come running when the prodigal son came home the Bible says the father took off running we are living in a very dangerous time but your God is going to do a work in you that you and nobody else could in any wise believe they will be astonished if you will simply let him be honest and allow him to change your life and folks it's going to be difficult at times there's going to be some hard issues but if you can open up from the deep honest place of your heart and share your weaknesses god can overcome this is brother frank on the remnant call pleading seek your god good night and shalom Trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is come. Blow a trumpet in Zion.